Well, happy Mother's Day, and with that said, let's jump into today's message from Colossians chapter 2. We're continuing in this series in the book of Colossians, or the letter to the Colossians. 22 years ago, I was 16 years old, and uh, I came to know Christ. And for me, I don't know about you, but I didn't really grow up in the church. And so when I first came to know Christ, it kind of took me some time. It took me a while to get used to the, the language that was used in the church. I wasn't used to all the references. I didn't know all the metaphors in the Bible. And I remember within a month of becoming a follower of Christ, someone came to me and asked me this question. They said, hey, James, how's your walk with God? How's your walk with God? And I paused and I remember I didn't know how to answer that. Not because I didn't have an answer, but I, I just paused because I didn't know what he meant. You know, you know, I didn't know, I've never seen that word walk used in that way before. It, it would be like me coming to you and saying, how's your walk with your dad? How's your walk with your neighbor? How's your walk with your boss? Like we just don't talk like that. And so it kind of took me some time to realize that, that as I started to read the Bible, there were countless and numerous times all throughout Scripture which talks about a life with God as a walk with God. And I began to learn this, that our, our relationship with God is, is much like a walk. It means that there is a path that is set before me. It means that there is a course that God wants me to take. It means that there is a race that God has qualified me into that I can actually run in. But then it also became clear to me that as I walk with God, as I take this road and journey on this path, as I start to take this course, as I start to run this race, it became clear to me in my life circumstances and I saw it in the scriptures that it's not always going to be easy. And you're probably feeling that right now. If you're a Christian, you've probably, uh, you probably understand what that means that as we walk with God, as we journey with God, as we run with God, it's not always easy. I, began, I came to understand that in this walk and in this life with God, you're going to face opposition. There's going to be times you're going to face resistance. There, there, there's going to be times you're going to face discouragement. You're going to face all kinds of pressures. You might face hardship. You might face trials. And there's going to be all kinds of voices and influences out there that will try to deviate you from this walk that Christ has called you to walk in. And one of those pressures uh, is this pressure to add more to Christ, add more to Jesus. And that's what we're finding in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and on. Paul is responding to the church in Colossae, and what he's found is that just a few years ago when the church started, there was incredible um, movement. There were people that were coming to hear the gospel, to receive the gospel. They had become followers of Christ. They believed in his life and death and resurrection. They were growing. They were maturing. They had faith in Christ. They had this love for all the saints. Paul says in his opening chapter in Colossians, he says, I'm, he says, I'm overjoyed. I'm, I'm overflowing with thankfulness and gratitude because of the work God is doing in them. Well, just a few years into walking this walk, they began to realize that there's opposition, there's pressure, there's different influences, there's people in Colossae that are telling them different things, a false teaching, a false gospel, and they're pressuring the church in Colossae, telling them this simple thing, that Jesus is good, but he's not enough. 
And so the pressure was, was, to, was to add to Jesus instead of abiding in Jesus. Maybe you felt that need. As you walk with God, you felt like, maybe I got to do more. You ever felt that? As if you got to add something to the work of Christ. As if there's something left that you have to earn. And instead of just abiding and resting and being still and in fellowship with him. That's the pressure that the Colossians faced. A couple days ago, my wife and I, we were watching our son eat, you know, and, um, and it kind of dawned on me again that as I was watching him, him eat, that this guy depends on mom and dad for every meal, right? And, and not, it's, not, it's not just that he depends on us to cook him something, but it's the reality that everything that he needs in him depended completely on us. That everything he needs in him, every nutrient, every vitamin, all the nourishment that he needs in him depended completely on us. And that's a beautiful thing. And what Paul is trying to remind the church in Colossae is that all that we need in us is found in Christ. All that we need, all the nourishment and sustenance that we need in this life is actually found in Christ not anywhere else. And so Paul begins his, um, this kind of response to the pressure that the Colossians were facing. If you do have your Bibles, open it up once again to Colossians chapter 2 and look at verse 6 with me. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. There's the metaphor walk. It's the metaphor to, to live or to um, Continue in him. And he says, walk with Christ. Continue to walk with Christ as you receive Jesus Christ the Lord. And, and notice he says that it's the way, the way you walk in Christ is the same way that you received Christ. And notice the connection there. He's not just kind of wasting words. He's saying, as you received Christ, so walk in him. There, there is a, there is a uh, unique connection between how we receive Christ and how we actually walk in him, which, which makes us ask the question, how did we receive Christ in the first place? On, on what basis did we receive Jesus, right? Was it my good works? Was it my perfect behavior? Was it my flawless character? Was it my hard work? Was it my religious achievements? When I had none, right? And what we know is that this is an obvious answer, that none of us earned Jesus. If anything, we received Jesus. And we received Jesus not by works. We received Jesus by grace through faith. We receive Jesus by grace through faith. So what Paul is saying here is this, that if you have received Jesus by grace through faith, then you also walk in Jesus by grace, through faith. The way you started is the way you end. You don't change the course. How you start is also how you continue, is also how you end. If we have received Jesus by grace, walking by faith, then that's how we continue, by grace, through faith. Not adding anything, not trying to earn anything, but resting in the finished work of Christ by grace through faith. And so to live 
and to walk in Christ is this uh, daily grace. It's not just something that happened at the moment I became a follower. It's a daily grace. It's, it's a sense of every day I get to be in fellowship with him. Every day I get to rest in him. Every day he is holding me. Every day I have nourishment. Every day I have sustenance. Every day I don't lack anything. I'm abundant in Christ. That's what Paul is saying. As you received him, walk in him. That word walk is uh, referring to a continuous movement, a, a constant conduct, an ongoing activity. That's why if you look at other translations, most translations actually use the word continue. It'll say, so continue to walk in him or continue to live in him. Paul is giving them this charge, this call, if you will, this call and this charge to continue in Christ because because the conversion moment or the moment you became a follower isn't the end. It was just the beginning. He's telling the church in Colossae, when you came to know Christ, that was the beginning, not the end. As you receive Christ, so now walk in him. I want to just encourage you for those that are in Christ, for those that have become followers of Christ, your conversion was not the end. It was just the beginning. He's inviting you. He's calling you even today. You might have forgot yesterday. You might have ignored him this whole week. But even today, he's inviting you to do life in him, to walk in him, to live in him, to continue to receive from him where Jesus becomes our daily bread. There's a call to continue. It's this relationship we have with God, and it's a close one. It's an intimate union. It's a sacred union, right, in which as we walk in Christ, Christ works in us. Do you guys see how that works? As we walk in Christ, Christ works in us. It's not as if if we just work harder for Christ, He will walk with us. It's the other way around. As we walk with him, he works in us. I want you to think about how close that relationship is. It's not like a distant family member. How how close that relationship is. Think about why would Paul say walk in him? Right? I mean, that kind of doesn't even make sense. How do you walk in someone? Like I know, and you probably know what it's like to walk with someone or to walk beside someone. But Paul says walk in Christ. Like what what does that even mean? What Paul is trying to point out is the reality that when you have received Christ by grace through faith, Christ is no longer just with you or beside you. He's saying Christ is now in you. Amen. By myself. He's saying Christ is not just at a distance. Christ is not even just close. Christ is in And he's in you through the Holy Spirit. And so that's why Paul is saying walk not just with Christ or beside Christ. He's saying now walk in Christ. There is a union that we have. And the fullness of Christ is now flowing to us. And so Paul encourages them, continue in him. He's living in you. And you lack nothing. In Christ, you are abundant. And you might think, man, that's, isn't that a good thing? Like, isn't that like what we would want? The question is, why would someone, 
Why would this church, why were there some people that may not con- were, were tempted to not continue? Why does Paul have to call them to it? Why does Paul encourage them to continue when it's such a beautiful thing to have this union and, and walk and relationship with God? The real question, right, is why would someone not continue to walk with him? That's the tension. That's what we wrestle with. When, there's, when we know in our heads that's such a beautiful thing, why are we so tempted in our hearts to walk outside of Christ? Last September, I uh, was walking with my family, and it was a nice uh, day and, you know, good temperature, good weather outside, a great day. And uh, we're, I was walking with my wife. My, my son, who was four at the time, was riding a scooter. And, and he was riding with such joy because it was such a beautiful day. And we decided to go walk and, uh, and, and from South Loop to go under the bridge that takes you to the other side of Lakeshore Drive. And so we would walk and my son is scootering uh, under the bridge. And then it, we, we would come across this pathway, this walkway that just kind of really was pretty steep uphill and so he would he would scooter uphill and my wife and I we were walking uphill and 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 and, you know every now and then I'm as I'm talking to my wife I'm also watching my son having so much fun on his little scooter his little kid scooter and we're going up the hill up the hill and as we get to the top of the hill and this walkway is you know it goes it it has turns and twists and so uh, we get to the top of the hill and my son stops at the top of this the, the peak of the uphill, and he, and he gets off his scooter because even for a four-year-old, he's looking down this hill, and he knows that, man, it's not good to go down this hill on this scooter because this hill is pretty steep. It's too steep for him, and if anything happens, he knows he's going to get a boo-boo, right? And so he gets off his scooter, and I don't know what came over me, but as my son got off the scooter, I took it as my chance to get on the scooter. And so I didn't consult with my wife. I didn't even consult with my son. I took the scooter from my son and I said, I'll ride the scooter. Because I thought it was so, it looked so fun. And so I got on the scooter and it was just one long stretch down the hill, pretty steep, at least in my mind. I might be exaggerating. But it was pretty steep in my mind. And, and as I was going down this hill, I mean, within probably 20 seconds, I knew that um, this was too fast for me. And I, it was a kid scooter. I didn't know how to stop. I didn't know how to handle it. It was, it was not fit for me. I'm going somewhere with this. It was not meant for me. But it looked really fun in the moment. And so I thought, I'm going to take this opportunity. And so instead of walking, I jumped on the scooter. And within moments, I lost, I lost control. And I, I fell and I just completely ate it. And that led me to go to the hospital, to the ER. Uh, they found out I had a couple fractures. I had never broken anything in my body ever before, 38 years of my life. And here I am in the hospital with a couple fractures, all because I wanted to ride my son's scooter. What, what's the moral of the story? What I'm, what I'm trying to say is I was at the hospital, and I just couldn't get away from the regret. The regret of why did I choose to ride the scooter? Why couldn't I just continue to walk? Are you with me? And and I thought, it looks so fun in the moment. But then I realized it was not fit for me. And I don't know if you could relate to this, but you ever had this moment in life where, you know, things are good and you, you, you might be even walking with God. 
then you look outside or you look at someone else and you look at someone else's life and you, and you wonder, man, that looks so fun. Or, or, or someone gives you a different philosophy or some kind of different teaching. You know, and you think, man, you know, maybe they're right. And, and isn't it true that we're kind of like me on that scooter where we say, man, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe there's something better. Maybe there's something I, that, I'm not, that I need more to add on to my life. That maybe, maybe there's something that's better than Jesus. Maybe, the, maybe Jesus is not sufficient. Have you ever been there or thought that? Be tempted to walk outside of Christ when in, in Christ you had everything you need. And I think this is what Paul is trying to get at. That at times we wrestle with this tension that maybe there's something better. Maybe there's something more. Maybe there's something missing. Uh, maybe there's something more sufficient than Jesus. And what happens is we're tempted to walk outside of Christ instead of walking in Christ. Paul encourages us today. Walk in Christ. You have everything you need in him. Paul describes, as he goes on in this letter, he describes what this walk looks like. And he actually gives us four words. He says, someone who's walking with God, someone who's living in Christ, is one that's rooted, it's one that's built up, someone that's established in the faith, and last but not least, abounding in thanksgiving. And I want to kind of camp at the word rooted here for our purposes today. He says, he says a walk looks like this. Someone that's rooted. It, it means to be grounded or to be planted or to abide or to remain. I mean, you, you ever wonder why is that the first word that comes to mind when you think about walking with God or walking in God? Paul, when he thinks about the walk, he thinks about someone that's in Christ. The first word that comes to mind is the word rooted. I want you to think about the imagery here. He actually refers to it in different places. For example, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And then he says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So, so here it is again, this understanding that when Paul is talking about someone that walks in Christ, he has this image of a tree that's rooted and that's strengthened, it's built up, it's established, and ultimately it's bearing fruit. And it's abounding in thanksgiving. Paul has this picture of a tree in mind that for the Christian, for the believer, those that receive Christ by grace through faith, they are grounded in him. And that's where you get all the nutrients that's where you get all your nourishment, and, and that's where you are able to grow and you're able to bear fruit. And what Paul is teaching us today, friends, is that a healthy spiritual life is one that has deep, deep roots, like a tree. Right? I just uh, I have a uh, apples in my my house, and so uh, just for the sake of research and sermon purposes for the kingdom, if you will. I went on Google and I typed out, you know, uh, apple tree and roots. And I came to find out that an apple tree, right, their roots can actually go 20 feet underground. And you can't even see it. You can't even see how deep it is, but 20 feet underground. Before that apple is there, visible, tangible, where you can taste it and see it, there was a deep work 
underneath in the soil 20 feet underground. Paul says that's the Christian life, that before we can bear any fruit, we have to set our roots deep in Christ. Go deep and set your roots deep, right? The question is, why would someone, why would someone not want to put their roots down? Why, why would someone just have shallow roots or maybe no roots at all? And here's the reason. It's when we care too much about the surface and care too little about the soil. See, what prevents us from having deep roots is, is all we focus on is what's on the surface. And, and we care too much about what's on the surface and too little about what's in the soil or the one who is in the soil with us, right? Instead of focusing on how deep can I plant my roots, you know, we tend to ask the question, how wide can I spread my branches? How high can I grow? How far can I reach? How much fruit can I produce? And you know what that does? It, it leads us to a place and we just, we compare our branches. Well, mine's shorter than theirs. Or, 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 you know, mine's not as strong as theirs. We compare fruit. How come that person has that many and I have this little? We compare branches. We compare fruit. We compare our reach, right? How, how, how come that person is so influential? How come that person's such a good leader? And, and how come I'm where I'm at? You know, we compare everything. We compare and we get fixated on how high we can go and how far we can go instead of focusing on how deep we can go. Right? And we're so consumed with what's on the surface instead of the one in the soil. So I just want to encourage you, as Paul encouraged the church in Colossae, being rooted is a beautiful thing. Here's why. Because God's greatest work is not on the surface. God's greatest work is in the soil. That's where he does his greatest work. It's often in the unseen, invisible places where God is doing his greatest work. That's where all the nutrients are. That's where all the nourishment is. It's buried in the soil. The the roots are are the foundation of our life. it's, It's where we build our life upon and depending on the roots and depending on the soil, depending on the foundation, our our building will either fall or it will stand. Roots are incredibly important in our life. And that's why he says roots first because if you don't have roots, you don't have the rest. If you don't have roots, then you don't have the ability to be built up. And you don't have the ability to be established in the faith. And you don't have the ability to be abounding in thanksgiving. You see, there's a progression here, which is why I'm camping with the roots. Because without roots, you don't have anything else. Without the foundation, you don't have a structure and you don't have a strengthening and you don't have fruit. And so we need to be rooted in Christ in order for Christ to build us up and to be established in him and ultimately abounding in thanksgiving. He says abounding in thanksgiving. I don't know if you guys caught this already, but for Paul, 
Thanksgiving was overflowing all throughout his letter. He mentions it in every chapter, that word thanksgiving. It's important for the Christian life. Paul says, be rooted, built up, established in the faith, and abounding in thanksgiving. He lists four things, but here's what you didn't know. That the first three are actually written in the passive voice. When he says rooted and built up and established in the faith, those are passive voices, meaning these are not describing what we do. It's describing what God has done. The only active voice is the word thanksgiving. Paul is trying to say this, that we were rooted because of Christ. We were built up because of Christ. We were established in the faith because of Christ. That wasn't my work or my doing. That was God and God's doing. But here's our work. Here's our role. Here's our response. It's to abound in thanksgiving. God is not going to make you give thanks. That's our response. When we see how Christ has rooted us, he qualified us to walk with him. He, he built us up. He gave us a structure for life and he strengthens our life through every circumstance. When we see how much Christ has done for us, Paul says you will abound and you should abound in thanksgiving. It's what we do because the fruit, any growth, any sense of maturity in Christ is not the direct result of your walking. It is the direct result of Jesus working. It's his work in us as we walk in Christ. God does the work. There's passages in like 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 5 through 7 that says, you know, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. You notice that? God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Another passage in John chapter 15, verse 4 to 5. It says, abide in me and I in you. This is Jesus talking. He says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can't do nothing. See, Jesus says that he is the vine and he tells me that I am the branch. And I, and I want you to notice how close, how close that is. You know, when I, when I first heard that, that Jesus is the vine and I'm the branch, I almost got offended. I'm like, that's all I am? Until I realized how close the branch is to the vine. You know how close it is? It's interconnected. There, there's actually nothing more closer to the vine than the branch. It's, that's how close we are to Christ because he has rooted us. He is building us. He is establishing us. You can't get any closer to the vine than the branch. And what that passage is saying is that all the nutrients that come through the vine now actually come to me. All the sustenance that's in the vine now come to me. All the life that's in the vine now come to me. That's good news. We don't lack in Christ. In Christ, 
we have everything we need. You notice that in John 15, it says, I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Notice that he never commands us to bear fruit. Notice he doesn't command us to produce fruit. The only command is to abide in him. Because as we abide in him, he produces the fruit. That's why we give thanks. That's why Paul is saying abounding in thanksgiving. Because, look, if, if we were the one to cause growth, then we should just thank ourselves. If it was just my pastor or just my small group leader or just some books or a podcast I'm listening to, then we should just thank them. But ultimately, we know that our growth is because of God. And so we abound in thanksgiving to God for the work that he has done. And so the question for us, you might be wondering, how does this then apply to me? What then is my role? What is my role in all this? Here it is. Our role is simple, to put your roots down. Put your roots down, growing in Jesus, growing in prayer, growing in thanksgiving, growing in scripture, growing in fellowship with him. Paul says growing in all wisdom and understanding, growing in the place where you can rest in him, growing from places of anxiety to a place of peace, growing in a place of constant panic to a place of just stillness because you know who your God is and you know he's with you, growing in a place where you're not resisting him, you're not putting him in the periphery, you're not putting him on a Sunday checklist, but you're putting him central. He is at the center. You're walking with him daily. To put your roots down means that you walk with him today, that you talk to him today, that you obey him today, that you listen to him today, and that you worship him today. It's not our work. That's our walk. We just walk with him as a branch is connected to the vine. And God produces the fruit. Paul, after saying walk and continue to walk in Christ, you know, rooted and built up and established in the faith, abounding in thanksgiving, verse 8, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive though. So after Paul gives this charge or this call, he gives them this caution. And the caution is, as you're walking in Christ, he wants them to know that there are outside influences. There are such a thing as false teachers and a false gospel. There is such a thing as leading you astray. And so he's saying, don't be captive. Don't be a hostage. Don't be taken by that. Don't be under its control of philosophy and empty deceit. And it doesn't mean all philosophy because philosophy just means the love of wisdom and God wants to pour out all his wisdom into you. But he's talking about this philosophy of false teachers It's empty, it's deceitful, it's just a hollow sham. There's no true content. It's seductive, it's misleading. It deviates you from the walk you have in Christ, right? And you could be captive by it. And Paul says, you know why it's empty? He says it's empty because it's not according to Christ. In other words, the source wasn't from God. It was from men. It was from the traditions of men. It holds no power. 
And in the church in Colossae, they were dealing with this pressure to be led astray with magic spells, asceticism, legal, you know, legalistic uh, rituals and restrictions and circumcision and dietary laws and worship of angels. And, and, and you might be asking, that, what does that look like for us today? Well, today, it's anything and everything that promises to do what God has already done. Anything and everything that promises to do what God has already done. It's anything that promises to give what Christ has already given. So Paul's response, this is, this is, this is, this is profound. Paul's response to their caution is to remind them of their Christ. Paul's response to their caution is to remind them of their Christ. I want you to look in your Bible with me, verses 9 and on, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time uh, going through this, but he, he, he points us back to their Christ. He points us back to our Christ. Seven times in that uh, short passage, he says, in Christ, in him, in whom. He says, in him we are filled, we are circumcised, meaning we've been given a new heart and a new life. We've been buried with him, raised with him. When Christ died, we died. When Christ rose, we rose. We were made alive and we were forgiven. And and Paul says, that's all in Christ. He's saying, Jesus did it all. We didn't do anything. Paul says, Jesus did it all. In other words, we don't have what it takes to grow. But Jesus does. And so if Paul had a billboard over the Colossian church, you know what it would say? If there was a billboard that just hung over their church, it would say this. Jesus is supreme and Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is supreme and Jesus is sufficient. And so keep walking in Jesus because in him is everything you need. I'm going to invite the praise team up. And so, friends, this week, I want, to, I want you to be reminded of your call. And I want you to be reminded of your Christ. There is a call to, to receive Christ by grace through faith. There is a call to walk in him. And as you walk in him, he roots you, he builds you, he establishes you. And you start to bear fruit. And you start to abound in thanksgiving. But it's only in light of Christ. This week, put your roots down. Ask him to fill you, to guide you, to lead you, and to strengthen you. If you would, from where you are, would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes with me? Today, as I finish up my message with a prayer, I want to just read to you a prayer by St. Patrick. Some say this was his morning prayer. So if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to read this today for you and over you. He says, I arise today through God's strength to pilot me. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me. Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Christ on my right, Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in the eye that sees me, Christ in the ear that hears me. And God, I just pray that that would be true of me, that would be true 
of us. That we would receive you, that we would walk in you, that we would put our roots down in you, that Christ would be to my right, Christ would be to my left, Christ would be before me, beneath me, above me, all around me, Christ would be in me. I pray that that would give some comfort, that would give some strength, that would breathe encouragement, that would give some hope to somebody listening to this today, that Christ is enough. And we pray this in your name. Amen.